All right, are you ready for the word? All right. Today I want to speak to you on the discipline of determination. The discipline of determination, and we're going to take a look at what that means and the importance of it. And the question that I want to start off by asking is, how is it that we can keep our walking with God fresh? The question that I want to ask myself today, because we know that research tells us that it takes 21 days to develop a habit. And once you've developed that habit, you're very prone, you're very likely to stick with it and keep it going. We all know what the honeymoon phase You've heard of that when the honeymoon phase, when the newness wears off. And how do, you how do you keep things fresh within the marriage? Or we know that it's easy to, to go into a car dealership and sign on the dotted line, especially when no down payment is required. It's one thing to purchase the car and leave the dealership, but it's another thing to make the monthly payments. It's one thing to shed 20 pounds. It's another thing to keep those 20 pounds off. Yes, amen. It requires discipline. And can I tell you that it is so easy for us, especially in the type of world and society that we live in, it's so easy for us to get off track in life. The entire Bible shows us from the beginning to the end of people who were one time on fire and passionate for God who got off track. So if you've gotten off track, I've come to encourage you. I haven't come to beat you down. I've come to encourage you and tell you that you can get back on track again. Adam and Eve got off track with God and they get banished from the Garden of Eden. All of civilization got off track and God decided that he was going to flood the earth with the exception of Noah and his family. Abraham gets off track and is impatient and he has a, a baby with his wife's maidservant instead of trusting God and believing that the one who spoke it is faithful to complete it. Moses gets off track and is not allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. The entire Old Testament, in reality, is one incident after another where God's own people got off track and lose their way. In fact, one would argue that they spent more time off track than they did actually on it. And you think it would be different in the New Testament once Jesus shows up to the scene, but even in the presence of the Messiah, the disciples kept missing it. I don't say all of this this morning to depress you, but to really ask the obvious question that stares at us in the face, why would we expect to be any different than many of the great men and women throughout the Bible? God uses the phrase in his word, do not be afraid, fear not, 366 times in scripture. That's a whole lot when you look at context. Why so many? Because there are often times and there are many times where we will 
be faced with situations that will paralyze us in fear. That will, that will try to just keep us in our tracks. I told the story uh, maybe a year ago of a gentleman who received a call who had had some blood work done. And, and they called him and they told him, you've been diagnosed with AIDS. You've been diagnosed with AIDS. And uh, he said, for 10 days, I had to live with, with that news. And he said later, after the 10th day, that he gets a call. And they said, sir, we just want to apologize and let you know that we were reading somebody else's results. You're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. He said, I wanted to sue them. Not because there was something really wrong with me, but the simple fact that something could be wrong. He wasn't really sick, but the fact that he had an illness all of a sudden stopped him in his tracks and it paralyzed him from moving forward. And there's often situations in our lives that will tend to look at us and, and come at us and challenge us to be able to, to live in a state of fear. And we, we are asked the question, will we live in fear or will we trust God? Because during much of our Christian life, we will feel afraid. And I want to tell you that this morning that you can get off track with the best intentions. You can have the best intentions and still not be on track because it's really easy. You already know this. It's bigger than just a spiritual thing. Think of the resolutions that were made just a few months ago that didn't last very long. Or how many diets you started? South Beach, keto, whatever it may be, and you stopped after two, two days. Or Maybe you didn't even start because you thought of it on a Saturday and you said, I'm going to start on Monday. And then Monday rolled around and you had two tortillas and it was too late. <laughs> How many recommitments have you and your spouse made to a frequent date night and ha haven't gone through with it? Have you ever felt like you've gotten off track spiritually? Have you ever felt like Things are just not clicking the way they used to. Before you answer the question to yourself, let me clarify that I'm not just talking about fully walking away from God and not coming to church anymore or, or stop serving. Or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about have you ever felt like you're not close to God the way you were at one point in your walk? Have you ever felt like... You don't pray with the same passion. Have you ever felt like you don't praise with the same passion? Have you ever felt like there's just something missing? I'm still doing everything that, I, that I've been doing, but there's just some disconnect that's taking place. And what I can tell you this morning is what I've learned from my own experiences and from talking to so many other Christian like-minded believers that inspiration and that having inspiration and that having a plan are just simply not enough sometimes. And I'll tell you why. For example, in a football locker room, before a game, the coach will give some sort of pep talk and encourage the boys. 
Encourage the, the, the team there. And while the inspiring words can help and motivate the players, it's not just that. It comes after hours of the coaches watching film and analyzing it and scrutinizing and being able to see what the opposing opponent, what the opposing team does and be able to devise a game plan that is specifically targeting the, the weaknesses of the other team. We see this totally uh, take place, and we see that, that, there is so, that there is great importance to this. We see that what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus, Paul lets the young believers know who they are in Christ, who we are in Christ, and it's encouraging for us to read and to know that we are chosen, that we are adopted, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are God's masterpiece. Then comes two and a half chapters of encouragement from Paul to these same young believers. He gives them some clear, clear outlined ways to follow Jesus. He says, be imitators of Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. He encourages them. But what's interesting is that he, as he moves in this letter, you we're talking about the first chapters, but then as he gets to the end of the chapter, he begins talking about spiritual warfare. He begins talking about spiritual warfare, and he tells, in essence, he's saying that even though your identity in Christ is sealed, even though your identity in Christ cannot be questioned, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That is who we are in him. Even though we understand this, even though we have a great game plan, we need to be ready for our enemy and know his tendencies. Because our enemy is real. If you've just started the habit of studying the Bible and waking up early in the morning to pray, you need to know that the devil is after you. You may say, can you be a little bit more positive? I'm positive that he's after you. It would be a lot easier if the devil just walked around with horns and a pitchfork and yelled at you while you tried to read the Bible because you would be clearly, clearly be able to identify him. You would know it was him. But the enemy is really much more subtle than that. He's really much more deceiving than that. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning for the next 27 minutes and 51 seconds walking through four subtle ways, four ways that may just be overlooked that the enemy, that Satan will try to discourage you from your growing relationship with Christ. So how do I maintain this? How do I keep a determined mindset and a determined spirit to be able to say, regardless of what comes my way, I am going to serve God? Let's look at that. Because we have to remember that the devil is a deceiver. So he will try to convince you of reasons to give up or slow down in your pursuit with God. But if we can see them for what they really are, you will be prepared to meet him head on and say, I'm going to continue forward. I'm going to keep running this race. Because the truth is some of us in this place may already relate to some of these discouraging feelings that we're going to talk about. But we're going to look at the four most prevalent, four of the most prevalent 
I understand that that is subjective. So we're going to debunk some spiritual myths today in Jesus' name. Are you ready? The first is that I've lost that loving feeling myth. I've lost that loving feeling myth. Now, before you break out in song, it's, I'm talking about Revelations chapter 2. John writes some pretty convincing words and some pretty direct words to the church. And he says this to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You're doing, you're working, you're involved. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider far, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. For all Christians, everybody, there will come times where you just don't feel as close to God as you once did. You're not as excited as you once were about waking up early in the morning or the newness of the relationship has worn off. The truth is some of us may rather spend our time checking emails, answering phone calls than spending time in prayer. And when you're in this moment and when you're in this state of life, there is this guilty feeling that wants to overtake you that somehow, somewhere along the way, you have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. You just don't love God the way you used to. You don't have that same zeal. You don't have that same passion that you once had. And it's at this point that the enemy tries to infiltrate himself and, and tries to take that one step further in the mind of every believer that gets to this point and, and deposits and drops this thought, maybe God isn't as close to you as before. The devil is a liar. Maybe this whole Christian thing is, not ju is just not for you. Or maybe the most common that I've heard, if I can't get excited about spending time with God, then why would I fake it? Here's what's interesting about Revelations chapter 2. The word love used by John is the word agape, which we've talked about before. It's, which isn't describing a feeling, an emotion. No, it's describing love as a choice. It's an unconditional love. He's not just saying you just don't feel the same way about God as you used to. He's saying you've stopped making the choices you did before to make knowing God and serving him a priority. That's good. This is, that's good. You've stopped making the choices you did before to make knowing God and serving others a priority. Can I tell you this morning that God wants more for you? Can I tell you that he wants more for you? He wants our relationship to deepen so in the times where you feel, where you don't feel as close to him and you're tempted to take a break from this Christian thing and you're te tempted to take a break from the spiritual habits that you've developed and that you've put in place, that you need to, exact, you need to do the exact opposite of that. 
that when you feel discouraged that you have to say come on my soul don't you get worried don't you get weary like lift up lift up yourself come on and let's let's praise God together that, that in the midst of disappointment and discouragement that I have to say that I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants beg for bread. That when discouragement comes, because can, can I tell you this morning that not if it comes, that when it comes, that there has to be a church that has had to have their mind made up. That discouragement won't bring me down, that sickness won't keep me down, that challenges won't bring me down. For God I'll live and for God I'll die. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So even if he doesn't heal me on this side, when I get to the other side, hallelujah, that we have to be determined to say, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, nor anything in this world can separate me from the love of God. That regardless of what tomorrow brings, regardless of what next week brings, I have a determination on the inside of me. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice to say, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to serve him. I'll go to church even if I don't feel like it. It's a choice. The most important days to have a quiet time are the ones that we're least, are those days that we're least motivated to have some. What I have found hundreds of times is I just can't follow through in making time with God a priority that I have to follow through even when I don't feel like it. That when I do that, that I have to understand that God will show up in a powerful way. God will show up in a powerful way. The second thing is this, the spiritual comparison myth. The primary ways that we learn how to grow in our relationship with Christ is through reading and applying his word in our lives. James likens his word as a mirror that we're able to look at ourselves and be able to know where we measure up and where we're falling and where we need to really bridge the gaps. While God absolutely wants us to grow through surrounding ourselves with other believers, can I tell you that it's really easy for oftentimes, should I say, for us to fall into a comparison trap. The devil will often whisper thoughts in our minds that we're not doing enough or that we need to be as committed as he is or as she is. The only problem is that God never created any of us to be great at everything. He uniquely shaped you to excel in the calling that he has on your life. He uniquely shaped you to excel in the calling that he has on your life. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we need to be awesome at everything all of the time. It gets a little out of hand when we start comparing ourselves to some of the spiritual giants throughout history and we feel like, we're not, we're not there. We look at someone like Martin Luther who got up and prayed at 3 a.m. And, and we feel bad if we don't. 
And, and we tell ourselves, I need to share my faith as boldly as Billy Graham did. And if I don't, I'm falling short of it. If my Bible isn't marked up the way my neighbor's Bible is marked up, and if I don't have enough highlighters, uh, if I don't have enough portions highlighted as he or she does, then maybe I'm not doing it right. When you stop comparing yourself to other Christians, you're finally free to focus on becoming the unique person that God has made you to be. Instead of feeling adequate that we constantly don't measure up. Instead of feeling like there's a mark and we're never even getting close to it. When we stop focusing on others and start focusing on ourselves, we can do, we can celebrate what we can do. And I can celebrate where I am. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul tells us that we are called a masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. That means that you are a one-of-a-kind creation of God. So don't fall for the enemy's lie that you have to measure up to him or to her. No, don't, don't feel like you have to measure up through all to, to the Christians that have lived in, in this age. No, look what Mark chapter 14, verse 8 through 9 tells us. Jesus is in a, in a place and he's anointed by a woman who has a shady background. And some of the Pharisees who are sitting there begin to criticize what is taking place and, and grumble at how much of a sinner this woman was. But listen to Jesus' response. He said this, she has done what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Did you catch that first part? She did what she could. She did what she could. God doesn't call you to do everything everyone else is doing. God is calling you to do what you can. God calls you to do what you can. So what do you have at your disposal? What do you have at your availability that you can use and let God do the rest? Moses, I know it just looks like a rod, but if you, if you hold up that rod, uh, I will part the Red Sea in half. I know Mo, uh, Samson is caught in a situation where there's a thousand Philistines that come towards him, so he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and with that jawbone, he is able to destroy the men that come against him. What do you have in your hand? Can I tell you that it is enough? Can I tell you that God has properly equipped you, he's called you, he's sanctified you, he's anointed you, he's filled you with gifts and talents that nobody else in this world has. What you have is enough that we have to stop comparing ourselves and saying, I can't do what he can do, but they can't do what you can do. And if we just say, God, what I have, I'm going to place in your hands and I'm going to let you do the rest. The third is this. I'm going to go quickly. So, Pastor Israel, if you can join me. This Then you have the serial recommitter myth. The serial recommitter myth. I'm not talking about Frosty Flakes. I think a lot of times we can, man, I just got hungry. I haven't eaten all day. I think of a lot of times we can fall into this myth because 
as we mature in our faith. There will be times where we, where we have a setback. Can I tell you that setbacks, if, if you have a setback, you've been serving God for years and, and you've experienced a setback, can I tell you you're, you're not abnormal? You're not weird. I'm not, I'm not okaying bad habits and bad choices. No, but listen to me for just a few moments. We get to a point where some of us in this place, Christians living, that we know we shouldn't, but we do anyway. You thought you had moved past struggling with that particular thing in life, but you were wrong. You, you thought you had that spiritual habit, that discipline down, but in reality, you, you've fallen off. You were mistaken. At this point, the enemy of our souls will try to sneak in just as he did in the Garden of Eden. Try to sneak in a lie that on the surface seems like it could only be from God. He simply says, just make a recommitment to your faith. And I want to tell you that the lie is not that you should recommit yourself to following God. No, it's that recommitment alone is not enough. Because it's so easy to be confronted with temptation and say, I'm going to do it and pray for repentance right after. God help us. The lie is that you should never recommit yourself, but that recommitment is not enough. Listen to what God desires for us. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He's talking about the way we live. That is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul is talking to this group of believers that their whole lives should be worship to God. Their whole lives should be worship to God, not just when we're singing a song on Sunday here in church. Our whole lives. Then in verse 2, he walks through how you practically do that because I understand that for some of us it may, it may be like there's this huge disconnect. How do I get there? Well, let me tell you. First, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, he, God is saying follow his way and not follow our selfish ways or follow our sin. No, seek holiness. Seek him. Now, many of us maybe have struggled in some way or another. When, with conforming to the world's ways. We're bombarded, I understand that, with messages from social media day after day after day, coworkers, and even sometimes our own minds tend to take on some habits or some mindsets that live contrary to God's word. And when we fall short, the enemy is quickly there to tell us, just make a recommitment and try harder the next time. The only problem is that we have done nothing to help make sure that there is not a next time. The, the difference is that we don't do anything to, to make sure that this time turns out different than the last time. 
That is the difference. It's true in all areas of our lives. It's why we usually don't stick to diets. And it's usually why we can't remember the resolutions that we made in January. If we keep failing over and over and keep making recommitments over and over, at some point we come to the conclusion and we ask ourselves, you may know some people that have said, what's the point? I can't seem to get it together. I can't seem, if I'm going to fail, why am I even going to try? Often, this is one of the first steps to completely walking away from God. When somebody gets into this mindset and somebody gets into this place in their spirit. But our problem is that we only read the first half of Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Paul gives us the answer in the rest of the sentence. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't recommit ourselves to spiritual growth. We need to renew our minds to spiritual growth. That when this happens, we intentionally fill our minds with not the world's wisdom, but with God's wisdom. That we are making an active choice and an intentional choice to seek the things of God and not to seek what is in it for ourselves. But with God's wisdom, we can replace his word with, with what ultimately has been filling our minds and in our lives and in our hearts. We can replace our, that with his word and let him steer the ship. Let him guide us and let him direct us. Look closely at the people in your life that you have allowed to influence you. What, what type of people am I surrounding myself with? What are they speaking into my life? Are they encouraging me? Are they challenging me to grow? Are they building me up? Or are they always constantly criticizing who's around them? Are they always constantly pointing out what's going bad instead of what's going good? Am I hanging around with people that, that, the, half, that, that the glass is half empty and not half full? Who are you allowing to influence you? Another step is let's start memorizing scripture instead of the top 40. You'll start seeing God change you from the inside out. Because when we get, when we, when we allow ourselves, when we make the intentional choice to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it, it, it's choice. It requires effort on our behalf. Listen to what Romans 12, 2 says one more time. Then you, it's talking about you, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Once you allow God to renew your mind, he will give you the power, he will give you the wisdom, he will give you the understanding to know his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will for your life. And the last thing is this. You have what's known as the early arrival myth. God has a perfect will for your life. And he has uniquely shaped you and called you and he invites you. He says, step on, step in. And while it's unhealthy to constantly compare ourselves to others spiritually, can I tell you that it's not an excuse for me or for anyone in this room 
to get to a place of comfort. Because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll allow you to start settling for boring. If he cannot get you to, to come into his schemes for your life, we'll reach a, a place of monotony of where it's just the routine, it's just the same thing over and over again. But Jesus said this in John 10, 10, one of my favorite scriptures, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not always seeking to do all three at one moment. Sometimes he's stealing, sometimes he's killing, sometimes he's seeking to destroy. But what you can know is that. Maybe it's just stealing your joy. And maybe it's just stealing your passion. And maybe it's just stealing the intimacy that you have with God. And you're at a place where it's just, what's the point of this? But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to have it to the full. Can I tell you that God wants you and I to live our lives to the fullest? And I want to tell you that we can't fall for the lie that at some point it's okay to coast. And at some point it's okay to say, I got this thing down. I can put it on cruise control and keep on going. If you, if you have the, the daily habit of reading his word down, already great, but don't let that be all. Don't fall in such a rhythm that you never explore other ways to encounter God. God wants our relationship with him to be fresh, that you would constantly be growing in him, that you constantly would, be, would, would deepen yourself in him. He wants us to, to grow and interact with him in ways that, that we can only do when we step out of our comfort zones. When your time with God seems to be getting a little predictable and it's always the same thing, that's a good sign for you to make some adjustments. Look, look at what the Apostle Paul says. This guy is writing three-fourths of the New Testament, one of his last scriptures to the people in Philippi, writing from a Roman jail cell. He says this, now, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it. This guy had the equivalent of two doctorate degrees of education at the age of 21. I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind me and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you that he is the prize? Can I tell you, he is the goal. And while it's often not healthy to compare ourselves to others, but I can tell you one thing, it's healthy to compare myself to me. Am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I growing more today than I was yesterday? 
Is the fruit of the Spirit more alive in me today than it was yesterday or than it was last year? Do I, does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, does this flow out of me? Does faithfulness, does gentleness, does self-control flow out of me? Or am I the person that people are looking the other way and hoping that they don't have to say hi to? Are you a little bit more patient with your kids? Are you more generous with your money? Are you becoming more and more a person of peace instead of always being stressed out? Our model is Jesus, which means we will never arrive until we are with him. If our model is Jesus, we will never arrive till we are with him. Let's develop Impact City. Let's develop the discipline of determination that we would say, that maybe today is the, the first day of the rest of your life that we would say, I'm determined that this time will not be like the others. It is a choice. I'm determined that we will say, I'm determined to grow in God like I've never grown before. That as we pursue growing more and more like Jesus, uh, let us constantly remember that he has gone before us and that he invites us to run with him that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, that blessed is the man that trusts in him, that we would, would know that he promises the greatest of everything, that he promises us himself. So maybe you've gotten off track today. Can I tell you that he invites you back? It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said. He invites you back. He invites you back. He pulls us back onto his amazing plan for our lives. Can we let him love us to wholeness today? Can we let him love us to wholeness today? Can we let him love us to wholeness today?